Hey, everybody. An unusual episode today. It's a bonus episode. This is not The Art of Charm. This is not an episode of The Art of Charm. It's an episode of my new show called The Forbes List, where essentially I'll be interviewing people on The Forbes Lists, people who curate The Forbes Lists about The Forbes Lists, you know, like top 20 billionaires, top five fastest growing companies in tech, best places to retire, things like that. So if you're new to The Art of Charm and this is your first episode, skip to something else or enjoy this one, but this is not representative of what The Art of Charm is about. I think this show on Forbes is going to be kind of fun, so check it out. If you haven't checked it out and you're a fan of The Art of Charm, you might like The Forbes List. Without further ado... Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com slash charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to Kajabi dot com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Here we go. A little bonus episode about Forbes billionaires. This is the Forbes list on podcast one. And I'm Jordan Harbinger, host of The Forbes List. On this show, we dig in with the Forbes editors, getting a behind-the-scenes understanding of how they curate the famous Forbes lists and learning more about who and what actually makes those lists. Today, I'm speaking with Carrie Dolan. She's the Assistant Managing Editor of Wealth at Forbes. Carrie, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Now, this is an interesting position you've got here because you cover both wealth and philanthropy which I didn't necessarily connect immediately. But now that we look at guys like Bill Gates, a standby on the list, you see that rich people seldom get away without giving away a bunch of their money, especially on his watch. Exactly. I mean, Bill Gates and his good friend Warren Buffett are on a mission to try and encourage as many billionaires as they can to give away half of their net worth in their lifetime. And that must affect the list. And we'll get into that in a little bit as well, because I would imagine cutting a check for a billion dollars here and there can chip away at one's net worth. Yes, it definitely can make a difference in the rankings. So over the past decade or so, who would you say are the top 10 billionaires typically year to year? Bill Gates has been number one on the Forbes list of the world's billionaires for most of the past 20 years. There were a couple years in there in the mid 2000s where his friend Warren Buffett was number one for a year and then Carlos Slim of Mexico was number one for a couple of years. But, but Bill is pretty much won the title of most years at number one is the richest man in the world. And the amazing thing, to your point about philanthropy, is that's we don't include the $28 billion worth of Microsoft stock that Bill gave to his foundation in part of his net worth. So when we look at people's net worth, we are excluding any irrevocable charitable gifts that they have made. So that's when Warren Buffett gives 
stock of Berkshire Hathaway to the Gates Foundation as he does every summer. We take that. That's gone. That, that comes off his net worth. So that's about $20 billion that is out of Warren's net worth that's in the Gates Foundation that's no longer part of his net worth. Wow. So he'd be, he'd be well over 100 at this point if he was just a more stingy guy. Yeah. <laughs> Gates and, yeah. and Buffett. Yeah. I mean, Gates wow. has given away, they're both, each of them have given away about $28 billion. That's just an insane amount of money. I mean, the fact is there, there are cities that probably operate on a lot less than that. Maybe yeah. not major cities, but certainly. Yeah, and, and most of the people on the list are worth far less than $28 billion, right? You know, sure. so you get a kind of a, of a, an elite of the elite up there in the, po- you know, above $30 billion net worth. Right. Range. It's like somebody who owns a private jet just had their entire net worth donated in the form of a check on Christmas because Bill Gates was feeling generous. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's, that's impressive. Yeah. But, but it's interesting. One of the things, Warren Buffett is pretty interesting about this idea of giving money away. He talks about the fact that, you know, even though he's given away $28 billion, it's not like it's changed his lifestyle. Like for, for somebody who's <laughs> yeah. worth so much money, it's not like he has to s- skip lunch because right, he yeah. gave the, the money away, right? Yeah. He talks about how the money he's given away has no utility to him. And I think that's the case for a large number of these folks. Sure. I mean, he can still take Christmas in Hawaii right. and stay at the Four Seasons. And fly private. And fly, fly yeah, fly in his own jet exactly. with his own, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So how does Forbes determine a person's worth? Because there's this has to be a complicated calculation at some level because you've got stock, you've got properties, a lot of these guys, and I'm not mentioning any names because I can't, but I'm sure there's a fair amount of people on the list that are putting money in places where they don't want anybody to find it. Yeah. And, and you know, we, from, from the get-go, will say that we are not omniscient. We do not have filings from the IRS. We work with publicly available information, and we work with good old-fashioned shoe leather reporting, calling people up on the phone, finding old bond prospectuses, reading clips in the paper about what's going on with people's companies, if they're buying or selling artwork or properties or all that. So to your point, how do we determine someone's net worth? For most of the people on this list, it has to do with the value of a stake that they have in a company. Usually it's a company that they've founded or co-founded. So in Bill Gates' case, he co-founded Microsoft. In Warren Buffett's case, he essentially bought an old textile company, Berkshire Hathaway, and turned it into this investment vehicle that he owns a big chunk of, which is publicly traded. So we, what we do is we pick a day, a couple of weeks before we go to press with our list, and we use stock prices and exchange rates for everybody from the same day. So if you're a Chinese billionaire and the Chinese yuan has weakened against the dollar, then your net worth is going to be lower in dollar terms this year than it was last year because of that currency. Sure. Right. So um, there are a whole bunch of people on the list who have private companies, and those ones are a little bit harder to to nail down, although more and more of the biggest companies, companies like Cargill, which is a big agribusiness company, they actually disclose their revenues, their profits. And over time, we figured out which members of the Cargill family own how much of the company. And what we do is we, we try and figure out if Cargill was a public company, what would it be worth? So we try and kind of evaluate all of the companies as if, as if they were public which is hard to do with private, but, but we're working on it. Right, yeah, especially when people in some of these are probably trying to hide things for whatever reason. Yeah, I mean, so so we don't actually know, you know, what people's secret Swiss bank accounts sure. have in them and that sort of stuff. So we tend to be conservative. Our net worths are probably lower than the real number in many cases because we we don't want to make wild guesses about what people have done with all the years of dividends they've gotten from the stocks that they own, right? right. They may have 
blown it on some trips somewhere, or they may have invested it wisely and, and tripled their money or more. Sure. It. So yeah. we tend to take the, the low end of our estimates. Up towards the top, it's got to be a little bit tricky to calculate because there's a lot of sovereign wealth, if that's the right term, where you have a, a maybe a prince who maybe has this much in cash and owns this much in a company, but in theory, everything natural resources related in the entire country of wherever kind of belongs to this person yeah, where they have dominion over. We, that's, a, that's a good question. We, years ago, used to do a separate list that we called kings, queens, and dictators. <laughs> yeah. uh, we ha- it, it's, it's much harder to actually figure out the net worth of the king of Saudi Arabia. Or at one point, I had to try and figure out what Fidel Castro was oh, worth. Right. And yeah, because in some ways, they have the ability to tap the resources of their country if they have supreme power. So we, we actually don't. So the king of Saudi Arabia, for example, is not on our list. So we, we try and include people whose net worth we can trace and prove um, and defend. Right. And if we're we, and so we don't really know on some of these. So there's not a lot of there's a couple. There's two princes from Saudi Arabia who are on the list, but it's because of their holdings in publicly traded companies where we know how many shares they own. And then, you know, that you use the share price from the stock exchange. And so that's how they're on there. I can imagine this team of interns spread out throughout the office looking at these different numbers and Googling their their pants off with LexisNexis as well and things like that. When I worked in private equity and on Wall Street a million years ago, approximately, there were a lot of clients that we had that when I would ask the managing partner in the firm, how much money does this guy have? He just invested $180 million or something like that in some fund that we're working with. He would say, these guys don't even know how much money they have. Even their own wealth managers would not be able to rattle off over dinner or drinks the amount of money under their control because they've got property, they own things that are in partnership with 7,000 different little sub-corporations and a bunch of other investors and things like that. It's so complex at a certain point that they're not even sure. And these are the guys whose job it is to know these things. So if it's your money and you've got a, a family office, you would have no clue how much you're actually worth. So that's why we're probably low, right? Because right. We're, we're going with, okay, well, we know that Warren Buffett owns X number of shares in Berkshire Hathaway, or we know Jeff Bezos owns X number of shares in, in Amazon.com. Um, and we know when, he, when Jeff Bezos has sold shares of Amazon, so we, we count that cash after taking taxes out. But we don't know, yeah, how much land has Jeff Bezos bought with the cash that he's taking out of Amazon and did he buy it in partnership with 10 other people? Yeah, that part right. we don't know. So that's right. where, yeah, that's where we do the best we can with the information we have. We definitely, definitely do not claim to be catching every dollar. And there's, I mean, there's some people, there's, there's some people who actually want to tell us everything. I mean, there's this one guy who sends us, his, his finance guy sends us a PDF listing how much the value of his furniture and his fixtures are in his wow. homes and estates. And I, I frankly, I don't count it because we don't have that information for everyone else on the list. Right. So we, we're trying to be, you know, trying to be level in our, I mean, we have more detail for some people than others, but we're not going to get down to that level of nitty gritty for, you know, what your furniture is. Why do you think he does that? Is he just dying for some coverage? He's dying to get a higher net worth. on. I mean, the right. amount of ego that some of the members of these lists have, the billionaires lists in particular, is kind of astounding. For, for people who are incredibly successful, there's some people for the, that for whom that success isn't enough, sure. where they really want to have a higher rank on our list. They're, they're billion, like this is an elite club of people. We had 1,810 billionaires in the world for when we did this list in 2016. 
So that's a pretty small percentage of the world's population. And yet for some people, I mean, I spend an inordinate amount of time on the phone for a very small number of people fielding calls from their chief financial officer who's lobbying to get their boss a higher net worth on our list. I wonder if they have their bonus attached to, uh, hey, if I make the top half, buddy, (laughs) you're going to Barbados. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. (laughs) It seems like that makes sense to me, right, at at some sort of perverse level, because when I look at our iTunes rank or something like that, we might be in the top 50 or the top 100, but the rest of the entire world no longer exists. I'm only looking at the 49 people in front of me. And I totally understand that competitive mindset. And I don't even have a billion dollars to to show for it. How did the top five, let's say, make their money? Because I I know we've got Bill Gates. I know we've got some uh, telecom tycoons in there. What are we looking at for the amount of money that you have to get to hit the top five and be above the fold, so to speak? So I think Bill Gates' story is pretty well known. Sure. He co-founded Microsoft 41 years ago, and he was worth $75 billion on our 2016 list. He's now worth $85 billion here at the end of January Not 2017. Not bad for one year. One yeah, year I mean, jump. and that's mostly, you know, but he actually um, doesn't have as much Microsoft stock as he used to. His fortune is about 15% comes from Microsoft stock. So he's essentially sold off a bunch of stock over time. He's got a group of people who are managing his money, and he's got a whole range of public stocks in the U.S. and in places like Mexico and other countries. And he's got private equity, and he's which we don't know the details of, frankly. And he's got real estate, which we don't know the details of, right? So we've got we're making estimations on what what he's got outside of of Microsoft. But we can we know from what he sold off. We have a starting point, and then we can apply, you know, appreciation. How we kind of take it, how the indexes have done over time, and apply that to his his network. I mean, not bad, Bill. That's about a billion dollars per month over the last year, if you want to break it down in terms of a jump in his network. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and there, we've had we've had you know even bigger jumps for some of the other folks on the list. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg, who's currently number five richest in the world, of course, the founder of and CEO of Facebook. His net worth went up more than $10 billion between 2015 and 2016, just because Facebook stock's gone up. And then it's gone up another $10 billion between March 2016 and now. So Mark Zuckerberg was worth $44.6 billion in, in March of 2016. Now he's worth $55 billion. He's promised to essentially give away 99% of his Facebook stock. Which is, which is essentially, it's not 99% of his net worth because he has sold some Facebook stock over time, but it's, it's about 98% of his net worth he's going to give away over his lifetime. And he's started with this very ambitious goal to try and eliminate, cure, or manage all disease by the end of the century, which is a really tall order. But hey, if he can do it, great. And he's going to spend $3 billion to do that. I, I love that. I mean, I totally understand at some level... Once you, even over a hundred million or whatever, I'm, I'm throwing out a ballpark here because I'm nowhere near that amount myself and I can't really speak from experience. You're, there's just no marginal return other than a larger number on a spreadsheet that's managed by somebody else. Yeah, I think that certainly return on joy, like are you happier right. at 50 billion than you are at 40 billion? I can't imagine that you feel any different. Of course, our friend Donald Trump, yes. the president, we interviewed him uh, in September of 2015, when he was still a candidate, a mere civilian, and right. and he, we Forbes estimated that he, at the time he was worth around four billion, but Trump was claiming he was worth more than ten billion, and we said to him, "Well, why, why, why are you saying ten? 
And he said to us, well, 10 sounds better. Sounds about right. Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, there's some of that going on, right, where, where there is some ego gratification for having a higher number. But um, you're right. For most people like me, what's the difference between right? And, and now it becomes maybe, in a way, and this sounds a little crass, so pardon me, Zuckerberg, but purchasing your place in history. Because no one is going to necessarily remember Facebook in 100 years because it's going to be something else. It's not going to be called that. It won't even make sense. It'll be like the Model T of social networks and things like that. However, if somebody eliminated a thousand or fifteen hundred different deadly diseases, that person's going in every textbook forever. And maybe winning a Nobel Peace Prize, right? Hopefully, you know, right. or yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. No, I know and I think I think that makes sense because really why does he why did why does he and his wife need all that money? Sure. Yeah. 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 What about these telecom tycoons that we see? A lot of them from Mexico or say Brazil. Telecom clearly ridiculously lucrative, as lucrative slash more lucrative than info, security, computers, and, and social networking. So Carlos Slim, the richest man in Mexico, was in the top 10 on our billionaires list in 2016. He's still one of the richest men in the world, but the value of his stock in this company, America Mobile, which has mobile phone concessions in Mexico and, a, and something like 16 other countries in Latin America, that stock's been falling a little bit since then. So he's, he's dropped a little bit in his, in his rankings um, on the list. He's still super duper rich. He, um, he's been beleaguered by some of the changes in regulation in Mexico. He essentially has a monopoly on the telephone concession in Mexico. And the, the, the president there passed legislation to try and essentially create a level playing field for the other telecom players in Mexico. So he's, his stock's gone down as a result of that. Yikes. Yeah. When you have to give up your monopoly. Yeah. It's always... So he's had to sell off some assets and things like that. Sure. Yeah. To competitors, no less. That's got to sting. But at least he's not sending you PDFs of his furniture. <laughs> he's not at that point yet. <laughs> You're right. So how do these top five billionaires spend their money? I mean, we've talked about philanthropy. We've talked about curing all diseases. What are some of the other uses that we see for this stuff? Is it research or do you see just excess that borders into the Some ridiculous? of them, yeah, some of them have huge homes, right? Yeah, I would buy imagine. huge properties. So Bill Gates is known for this amazing home that he has overlooking Lake Washington in this suburb of Seattle. Um, Jeff Bezos, who's as of today was briefly number three in the world, richest, the founder of amazon.com. He recently spent $23 million on what used to be a textile museum in Washington, DC, and he's going to turn it into a house. This is a guy who already, of course, already has a house in Seattle where yeah, Amazon he's is based. Not, he's not homeless. And he's got properties elsewhere, too. And then the other thing is Jeff Bezos and his fascination with rockets and space exploration. So he's put money into this company, Blue Origin, which was successful in getting a rocket to go up and come back down and land in the water, and they could use it again, right? So the first reusable rocket. And he's talking about commercial space travel as early as 2018, which is only a year from now. I don't know if it'll really happen. Sometimes these things are a little overambitious, but this is something. And then also uh, Jeff Bezos owns the Washington Post newspaper, which he spent $250 million on in 2013. So he's a guy with some interesting toys, if you want to call him that. The, a lot of the other folks at the very top of the lists are not among the big yacht owners. There's a lot of the very wealthy billionaires who have big, fancy yachts. Uh, some of the Russian billionaires love these big, long, fancy yachts. Number two on the list last year, Amancio Ortega, who's Spanish. He's probably most well-known to Americans for this 
clothing chain Zara. His, the, the parent company of Zara, Inditex, is the public company in Spain. And he's put a bunch of the profits that he's made from his company into real estate. So he's got something like $8 billion worth of real estate, like office buildings in Miami, Chicago, Madrid, Barcelona, you know, places like that. So, you know, some people just invest and then they're very private about what they do with, with the money for fun. Do you see any correlation between people who are high on the, which I've noticed you have the self-made scale mm-hmm. on the Forbes list, which I find super useful because it's hard to look at this and go, all right, well, how much is this is his and how much is because his dad started an oil company in 1939, right? And how many of the people do you see that are highly self-made that also invest in things like real estate, property, things that are going to have a return versus maybe low self-made, even oligarch type guys who maybe invest in things that are just showy. Do you see a correlation there? I don't know. I think, I think this, I mean, it's just interesting just to look at the very top of the list there. Though don't, they don't seem to be the showiest of the people, you right. know, like as far as I know, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Amancio Ortega do not have the largest yacht in the world, right? None of them do. Do they fly private? Sure. Sure. Right. Do they have who wants multiple, to deal do they with have TSA homes? Prop. You know, yeah. Yeah. Right. So it's it's all a matter of scale. I know people that don't even have anywhere near a billion dollars, and they still don't want to deal with the TSA, and they have a you know they still got the lake house. That's no big deal. Yeah. I do wonder that. There's a list I want to see. The top the top 100 money wasters according to Forbes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's the part we don't have a lot of. Ins- I mean, we. I guess it's a matter of do you think they're wasting their money by spending it on another new Gulfstream jet? Right. Yeah. Sure. Maybe assets that um, depreciating assets. Right. right? Boats, planes, right. and that's pretty much the. Right. That's those are the two big ones. Those are the two big ones. Exactly. Exactly. Who are some of these guys as people? I mean, it's it's hard to imagine. We see guys like Bill Gates, and we think, wow, look, he's such this nerdy guy in the 80s who just, you know, his tie and his suit looked like they're wearing him. And now he's... And the really big glasses. And the big if glasses. you go back and look at the old pictures, yeah. Yeah, and he's giving away all his money. And you see Zuckerberg, and he's like this guy who every every nerd's like superhero invents this cool thing. He's learning Chinese. He, he seems like a happy, well-adjusted guy for the most part. But some of these other guys, well, I would love to hear about them, of course, but some of these other guys are more mysterious. These sort of old, digni- dignified, distinguished billionaires that live in South America and every headshot is of them not smiling in a suit, right? You just think, who are these guys? I mean, so some of the people on the list did inherit their wealth, right? And so they are maybe lower profile or playboys or, you know, not as as invested in, in, you know, because that's the challenge, right? If you're a real go-getter, entrepreneurial spirit, and you come on some great idea, Amazon.com, let's say, or for a while, uh, Nick Woodman of GoPro was on our list. He's fallen off the list because GoPro is not as popular as it was in, in the past. But um, you know, these people work really hard, right? This, this, they have to put in a lot of, of sweat to get the company up off the ground and get it running. And then the question is, how do you instill that same work ethic in your kids if they're born into you don't. this? <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting. We um, we had a conversation a number of years ago with. Peter Buffett, Warren Buffett's son. And he was talking about how he didn't even know that his family was rich until he read Forbes magazine and saw that his dad was on the list of one of the Forbes 400 richest people in America. Like, because they just, they didn't change their lifestyle, right? They got rich, but they kept this, like Warren Buffett's lived in the same house in Omaha, Nebraska since 1958. They spent $31,000 on it, right? He'll tell you the only thing he does now differently is he flies private, right? But he's, he's just not about upgrading his lifestyle. Where I think I think a lot of these other folks, 
you get that much money, and then you're like, oh, you buy the second home and all that kind of stuff. I would wonder what the inside of the house looks like, though. Maybe it's the same house, but yeah. you know, does it have seven stories underneath it or something like that? I mean, come on. Well, so I can tell you there was a. I've spent a, a week. Uh, a number of years ago in Saudi Arabia visiting uh, this, one of the Saudis on our list, this guy, Prince Al-Walid. And he has a palace with 430 rooms. And the only art on the wall was really photos of him and his kids. That's interesting. Yeah. I didn't see that and, one coming. <laughs> I, thought you were, I thought you were going in a totally yeah, different exactly. direction with that. And, uh, and as you walk into the, to the lobby, there's uh, pictures of the prince with every prime minister, president, king, dignitary that he's met over the course of his life framed. And there's a frame, this at his home and at his office. So this is, this is kind of a sense of one billionaire's lifestyle. It's, it's so, these guys are all seemingly so quirky. And yet when you compare them to the neighbor in the neighborhood you grew up with, they're basically the same person with a hundred billion more or, or and change yeah, more dollars. Yeah, and probably pretty, maybe maybe more driven for the people who for started. Sure. Yeah. So there's a, one of my favorite stories on the billionaires list is this guy named Shahid Khan who came here from Pakistan uh, with you know twenty five dollars in his pocket, landed in Detroit, ended up going to to, to go to school, and then ended up working for an auto parts company, and then founded his own company. He came up with this idea for this new kind of bumper that you could put on cars. It's called Fle- his company is called Flex and Gate, and He's super successful, sells to all the big automakers and made enough money from selling his auto parts to buy the Jacksonville Jaguars football team. So he's the first Muslim, you know, football NFL owner. And he's giving back to his community, his employees. Like when we, one of my colleagues wrote a profile about him before, so we got all these positive comments from his employees. Oh, we love Shahid. So, you know, people can really come from nothing, create a company and turn around and give back to their employees and to the society. And another guy who's like that is the guy behind the Chobani yogurt, oh, yeah. Hamdi yeah. Ulukaya, yeah. who came from Turkey, took an old craft factory up in up, upstate New York, turned it into the Chobani factory. And he's still a private company. He gave 10% of his ownership in the company to his longtime employees last year. And he hires all kinds of refugees to work at his company. So he's really trying to make a difference with the business he's built. Sure. Restoring a little bit of our faith in humanity. Thanks, gentlemen. Actually, speaking of gentlemen, are these all guys? I I only took a sampling of the list, but I was noticing it was a little testosterone heavy. Yeah, there are way more men on this list than women. There's something like 140 women on the list out of 1,800. And most of them inherited their wealth from their husbands or their uh, fathers. There's a very small subset of self-made women billionaire. And the richest of those is a woman from China. And for the, all the Chinese speakers listening, forgive my pronunciation, I think it's called, her name is Zhu Kunfei. I, I might have it wrong, but it's Z-H-O-U-Q-U-N-F-E-I. And she has this amazing story. She grew up poor and worked in uh, factories. And she turned out, turned out she worked in a factory that um, made covers for uh, cell phones. And then she started her own factory and her own company. And basically the glass screens that cover the iPhones and the Android phones come in part from her factory. And she took her company public in China. Or I guess it's public on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, I should say. And she's worth about $7 billion based on her value, her ownership of a stake in the company she founded. Even more impressive given the fact that in Chinese society, it's not exactly, it's a little more patriarchal than we might be used to. I mean, things are hard enough 
here in America for a self-made billionaire female, I can imagine it being even a few degrees more difficult. I think you're probably. I think you're probably right. Yeah. In the United States, perhaps the best-known uh, self-made female billionaire is Oprah Winfrey. Of course, yeah. Another one who listeners may know about through her product Spanx, which is a fancy girdle, mm-hmm. is a woman named Sarah Blakely who came up with the idea for Spanx, and she's on our billionaire's list too. Right. Yeah, I met her husband, and I thought, I really hope you're a secure, level-headed guy because that could give you a complex, right? <laughs> he seems like a sure, good guy. I'm sure, honey. I'll, I'll support your underwear business. <laughs> Right, and there we look where she's gone. Right, exactly. Yeah, I can I can imagine that uh, there's there's maybe a little tension in the house sometimes when it comes to that. You have to be yeah, ready for that. She definitely gets way more attention than he does in yes. the media. Yeah. Yes. Do billionaires want to be aside from the people that send you their list of their uh, furnishings in their house? Do people want to be on the Forbes list? I mean, are these billionaires itching for it, or are they hiding from it? I would say it's a mix. Uh, there are some people who do not return our phone calls, do not cooperate with us do not want to be on the list. Some people will actually say, how do I get off your <laughs> list? And I had back in the, in 2000, when I was living in New York, a German billionaire flew to New York with his accountant and he brought his New York based lawyer into the Forbes office and basically showed me documentation that he had transferred his ownership in his private retailer in Germany to a charitable foundation in order to be taken off the Forbes list. And the backstory to that was when his daughter was five years old, there had been an attempted kidnapping on her. And so he wanted to have nothing to do with any kind of publicity with wealth. And so we took him off the list. But that was about the most extreme. I mean, the fact that the guy would fly from Germany just to have a meeting with me to show me this was was kind of a a shocker. Uh, That I completely understand. Yeah, one way to get off the list is to cut a big check. So... Let me know if you need my address or anything. <laughs> How much change year to year do you see on the list? I mean, do people swing wildly from the top 10 or the bottom 25? We see change on a couple of levels. So we see change in terms of the total number of billionaires on the list. When we started this list in 1987, I wasn't at Forbes then, but they found 140 billionaires. And so now we're up to 1810 and who knows, there may be even more for the 2017 list, depending on what happens with the stock market. So the numbers generally been climbing, except for in 2009, which, as you may remember, was the financial crisis where the markets melted down. We went from having more than 1,000 billionaires in 2008, 1,125 billionaires, I should say, in 2008, down to 793 in 2009. So those big moves in stock markets globally can make a big change in terms of the overall number of the world's billionaires. And then the other thing is the strength of a country's currency. So we lost last year, the number of, of Brazilian billionaires fell down to 31. There had We lost 23 Brazilian billionaires because the Brazilian currency had weakened so dramatically against the dollar. And then the, I think the stock market there also weakened as well. And then also uh, the Russian ruble was weaker last year. So we lost something like 10 or 11 Russian billionaires fell off the list because they're, you know, when you translate weaker rubles into dollars, you get fewer dollars. Sure. So, was that, so that's what happened. Was that in large part because of sanctions against Russia and things like that? or I think it also had to do with a lot of the Russians have natural resource related fortunes, you know, oil, oil and prices, gas. And yeah. so oil prices were down. So I think that had a fair amount to do with it as well. And and so we may see, you know, come going ahead this year, well, you know, again, anything could happen between now and the time we use our 
our date in February to figure out what people are worth. But um, we could have more Russians and more Brazilians on the list because those currencies have gotten stronger and oil prices have come back a little bit. Do you find that the list grows because of a growth in wealth or is it what percentage of it is a growth in, let's say, transparency and the ability to get at things you couldn't have gotten in 1990? Yeah, it's a it's a good question. We definitely have seen an increase in transparency. And, and I think it's kind of hard to measure how many more people we've added. But but I remember when I, I've been doing this a long time, I, I started at, at Forbes in, in the mid-90s and um, was looking at billionaires in Brazil then from New York. And I would have people in Brazil send me this book that was published annually by one of the big financial newspapers there, which listed the biggest companies. And I mean, it's kind of crazy to think that you'd had to get information from books as opposed to the internet, right? right. But this was frankly the early days of, of widespread internet usage. And you, now you go on to the Brazilian Stock Exchange website and you can look up people's ownership in the publicly traded companies and you can see when they've sold and that kind of stuff. So that transparent, that's one country where I'd say the transparency's increased dramatically. And we have seen a dramatic increase in the number of Brazilian billionaires in the time. Partly the, the economy's gotten bigger, but partly the transparency is just a heck of a lot better. It's really interesting to see that kind of snapshot of world economies. You kind of only need to look as far as the Forbes list to find out if somebody's currency has gone down the tubes, which commodities markets are in turmoil. Yeah. it's You see that big red on the daily indicator, you see that big red drop below the fold and you go, oh man, poor guy. I mean, it's... I just hope they don't wake up in the morning and look at that thing because that would be depressing. Yeah, I would imagine that most billionaires are not checking like the Forbes website every day to see how much their fortune's gone up or down. I would hope that they have better things to do with their time than that, frankly. Except for the guy who's sending you the complete (laughs) listing of his furniture. He's still figuring out how to get three rungs higher so he can take a screenshot and send it to his, his buddies. The majority of the top 10, aside from, say, like the Koch brothers are largely self-made. I inspected that yesterday before the show just to see if this was a trend here. Why do you think that is? Why do I think that the richest people are self-made? Because it's, it's it is interesting. theoretically easier yeah. to inherit a bunch of money, let it sit in private equity for two generations. I think that people who are willing to build companies are naturally more risk takers because it, you know if you think about chances that a company will fail, any kind of startup are really high, right? So... If you are willing to drop out of Harvard, let's say, to start a software company or a social network, we got Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg covered there, you're willing to take risks on spending $19 billion when your company's buying WhatsApp, right? When right. Facebook bought WhatsApp, which seemed like a huge amount of money for a company with no revenues, mm-hmm. but lots of users, right? Or even when Facebook bought Instagram, right? For a billion dollars, no revenue. You know, there was no. Turned out to be a pretty good deal. It turned out, Instagram turned out to be a great moneymaker for for Facebook now. So, or even like, still, jury's maybe still a little bit out on Oculus Rift. Are is the are these you know VR goggles gonna make a lot of money for Facebook? So far, I don't think so. But it's early days, right? So virtual reality may be a big moneymaker. So so Mark Zuckerberg is still willing to take risks in how he leads Facebook and what sorts of acquisitions they make. Warren Buffett at Berkshire Hathaway, he's buying companies, usually it's one or two companies a year, sometimes more, where he's trying to figure out which companies are undervalued, which ones would add to his portfolio. Absolutely. I I read a story a while ago, and I can't remember where it was now, but it was about newspapers and the Hearsts and things like that. And there was this young guy buying up newspapers all over the country in, I don't know, the 70s or something, turned out to be Warren Buffett. 
and you're just thinking, who's buying thinking newspapers left and right? It doesn't even make sense. And then now you look at it and you go, wow, that's a lot of political power. Well, you can use it to publicize favorably other investments that you have. I mean, it's just such a genius kind of back channel move. And yeah, these, these guys are, but it could have flopped easily. I mean, newspapers. And I think it depends where you're buying them. Because I mean, newspapers, you know, a lot of the big city newspapers are really struggling to hold on. So, you know, the smaller ones may be doing better because of advertising from local markets and stuff. Well, it is good news for those of us trying to live out the American dream to see that the richest people are ones that didn't necessarily just get dealt a nice trust fund on the day one. I would agree. No, I think it's great. I mean, I think one of the things about this list that makes it so interesting to work on is to learn these stories of people who, you know, come up with these great ideas for new products, new services. I mean, I, you know, and I remember when Airbnb was first founded, I thought, Airbnb, like who would want to stay in somebody else's, like a room in somebody, somebody else's, else's house, house you yeah. know, or, or like a room in somebody else's house or like somebody that, and, and it's now, of course, it's worth, you know, more than Marriott, right? And it's all over the world and it's super popular and it's, it's easy to use. And, you know, you can't, ima- you, you kind of can't imagine the world without Airbnb. But when, when, when some of these companies are introduced, you got to scratch your head at sometimes because they, they don't, they're so new that they don't really, like, or Uber. Like, I remember when Uber first hit the streets here in San Francisco, it was like, really? Do you really need this? And now, you know, you've spawned competitors all over the world and um, it's, a, it's a huge company. Sure. Well, often we see the first iteration of these companies being far less useful in hindsight, right? Because Uber was originally hey, let's have these really expensive black cars that only yuppies can afford, and it's only in San Francisco and San Jose or something like that. And then it just turns into, actually, I hate using taxis, and so does everyone else. Let's expand it. Now we have the Uber we're looking at. Now, Airbnb used to be food included, and the other person had to be there most of the time. And it was rare to get a whole property without an owner there. And then they ditched the food because Yuck. And also, <laughs> most people don't want to be in the house when a random bunch of teenagers from Iceland comes over for a week, right? I don't want to be there. I just want the money. So they, they, it tends to be yeah, marketed. Yeah, it iterated. It iterated. It, yeah, right. Yeah. It gets formed yeah. by the yeah. market, which yeah. is one of the reasons why it goes. But it is, it's great to see these people who weren't handed anything put their foot on the gas and not let go until they've cured diseases or changed the world in some other impactful way. Carrie, thank you so much. Jordan, thanks. It was great talking to you. That's it for this episode of The Forbes List. I'm Jordan Harbinger. If you'd like to share a comment, email us at thelist at podcastone.com. Thanks for listening to The Forbes List on Podcast One. Remember all, this is a little taste of what we've got on The Forbes List, another show that I'm hosting on Podcast One. You can find the show at podcastone.com or wherever you download your podcasts. It's called The Forbes List, and it's hosted by yours truly, Jordan Harbinger.